Hey there, architecture enthusiast. Nikita Reed here, inviting you on an incredible journey through time and space with my podcast, Tangible Remnants. Historic preservation and sustainability? Let's go ahead right now and debunk the myth that they are opposites. In fact, they are two sides of the same coin, shaping our collective future. In a work environment, it has been challenging because I've had to probably do more than double just to make sure that I quote unquote fit in. But the environments that have allowed me to do me on the front end, I've been extremely successful. You look at all these PhDs, they've built that on the backs of our elders. Absolutely. What they consider themselves to be experts at is what they've worked with us to achieve. I know we have to. We have to prioritize people before products and before place. Join me as we unravel the stories of historic buildings shaped by the people of a specific era and often influenced by race and gender. These tangible remnants are windows into our past and guideposts for the future. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe now to Tangible Remnants. Let's explore the interconnectedness of architecture, preservation, sustainability, race, and gender. Listeners can see me dancing. In 1984. <laughs> and Edna, I gotta say it again. You made me laugh. <laughs> I was trying to push through. Hey there, and welcome back to She Builds Podcast, where we share stories about women in the design and construction field, one lady at a time. On today's episode, we will talk about Amaza Lee Meredith, who was an architect and a professor. I'm Lizzie Rahr, excited to watch Simone Biles next week in the Olympics in San Francisco, and I'm joined by my fellow co-hosts, Jessica and Nurjiti. I'm Nurjiti Rivas, excited to get my Olympic curling on in Houston, Texas. Nurjiti, that's a winter Olympic sport. Aw, oh, crap. <laughs> <laughs> um, excited to get my gymnastic and swimming on in Houston, yeah. Texas. <laughs> Wait two years, we'll get to curling. Yeah. Okay. Season like seven. Uh, we do, we do. Sure. something Some there. Future. Who knows? Future Olympics alert. And, <laughs> and I'm Jessica Rogers, wishing that they would let Shakari Richardson run in the Olympics, based out of Washington D.C. It's time for our disclaimer. The three of us are not historians, nor are we experts on this subject. We are just sharing stories about the information that we find about each woman. If we get our facts a little mixed up, please forgive us. Leave us a comment and we will all continue learning. All right. Today we'll be heading to Lynchburg, Virginia, where Amaza Lee Meredith was born on August 14th, 1895. Is that close to you, Jessica? Mm-mm. It's like three and a half, four hours away from me. Oh, yeah, no, not close. No. Well, Amaza had two sisters and one brother. Her parents were Samuel Meredith and Emma Kenny. Samuel was a white carpenter and Emma was a black seamstress. And at that time, interracial marriages were illegal in Virginia. So when Amaza and her siblings were born, Samuel and Emma lived separately. And Samuel wasn't listed on Amaza's birth certificate. But Samuel always supported Emma and the children. 
Well, that makes sense because the Supreme Court case called Loving versus Virginia didn't happen until like 1967-ish. This is the case that allowed for interracial marriage. It's still awful, though, that this had to be a law. But, you know, well, America. I love interracial couples. I always identify with them. I can't imagine my father not being able to give me his name because his skin is fair and my mom's is dark. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, from what I read, it sounds like he was still very involved with the family and with the kids. Samuel was a master craftsman, and he taught Amaza how to draw blueprints, build cardboard models, and even how to make a curved stair newel, which piqued her interest in architecture and art from a very young age. I did read in one article, though, that Samuel might have dissuaded her from going into architecture purely because he knew how hard it would be for her as a woman and also a black woman. Sad, but understandable. Yep, especially at that time and in Virginia. I mean, he wanted to protect his daughter. Exactly. Well, Amaza's mom, Emma, was a seamstress, but it sounds like she was well-educated for a Black woman at that time. She could read and write, and she made sure her children were educated and sent them to college when they were old enough. She believed that education was a way to push past the existing public image of African-American character, So she encouraged her kids to attend school and to become teachers. Yes, education is always indispensable. I wonder why she encouraged them to become teachers, though. Well, I guess it was respectable and honorable job at the time and, well, today, too. True, true. Yeah, and I think that she thought highly about education for Black people and that that was a respectable position for her kids. So Emma actually purchased land right next to land that Samuel owned, and they combined the lots so that Samuel could build the family a large Victorian house. But again, Emma and the children lived here and Samuel lived elsewhere since they were not married. Sad, but barely understandable. What stands out to me was that Emma was able to purchase land. Again, because America and she was a black woman in Virginia. So it's just very interesting. I think it speaks to Emma's resourcefulness and drive because, like you said, it must have been extremely difficult for her to do that. Exactly. I was impressed by that as well. I mean, I think Samuel was supporting them, but she was also pretty scrappy, it sounds like. So around the time Amaza was 15, Samuel and Emma traveled to Washington, D.C. in racially segregated train cars so that they could get married. Samuel then moved into the house that he had built for his family. Wait, how could he get married in D.C.? Because it's legal in D.C. Oh, well, yay! (laughs) Okay, um, let's see how this plays out. Because America. (laughs) (laughs) So Amaza attended Lynchburg's Jackson Street High School, and she graduated at the top of her class. And I did find some conflicting graduation dates. Some said 1915 when she was 20. Some said 1912 when she was 17. So I'm not sure, but somewhere in that range. Hmm. It's interesting because she either graduated young or old. Yeah, that happens. Hmm. Yeah. However, things were not great for Amaza's dad. After he and Emma got married, he lost pretty much all of his business. And since he couldn't find any work as a carpenter, he went into a lot of debt. And this became so overwhelming for him that he ended up taking his life in 1915. (gasps) Wow. That's so sad. Damn. Man, this made me tear up. I'm going to need a minute. I'm really sad for Amasa now. 
That's freaking terrible. I know. I was so bummed when I read that. They should have stayed in D.C. I know relocating your entire life is not easy. But, ugh. That's what I I didn't think that was going to happen, but I knew that it couldn't end well. Right. There would be ramifications. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So what happened? I never knew how lucky I was. Sorry. (laughs) No. (laughs) Continue. No, it's true. I mean, America. Uh, But what happened to Amaza afterwards? Right. So she wanted to become a teacher, but she wasn't qualified according to the new requirements that were set by the Negro Organization Society. This group had recently been formed to oversee education improvements for both teachers and students. So in 1915, she enrolled at the Virginia Normal and Industrial Institute in Petersburg, Virginia, to get her primary school teaching certificate. And this is now Virginia State University. Good for Amaza and... Go Trojans! Yay, Amaza! Yeah! (laughs) So, while she was studying grammar, math, geography, and European history, Amaza also started making eyes at one of her professors, Edna Mead Colson. Oh, hey! Okay, Amaza! Oh, uh, Edna's a woman, right? Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, Yeah. So Edna was several years older than Amaza, and she was already a college-level certified teacher at the time. She had a BA from Fisk University, and she would go on to get a PhD from Columbia University in 1940. Ooh. Scandalous! Uh Uh-huh. So Edna was very politically active, and she was actually one of the first black women to vote in Virginia in 1920. She spent most of her career and life promoting education opportunities for Black people. She sounds like she would be a great influence. Also note that this was 1920, and we are still having similar conversations today. Yeah. Yeah. I see what Amasa saw in Edna, though. I'm starting to fall for her, too. (laughs) Yeah. Watch out. So they started a long-term relationship, which a lot of the time was long distance. So they didn't see each other much, but they were committed to each other and they stayed together for the rest of their lives. Oh, that's really sweet. I can imagine that this relationship also had to be on the down low. Of course. Sad, but understandable. Yeah, apparently Amaza wrote to her mother to say that she probably wouldn't get married because she was so committed to her position as a teacher and providing for the community, and that she wouldn't be able to perform the duties of housewife and mother while she was so focused on her job. I mean, yeah, but also she probably couldn't get married to Edna. Yeah, I like how Amaza spun that. Lies of omission. (laughs) Right? I couldn't tell if that letter was... Like, I mean, obviously, I think she felt that way about her job. But was it also a little of like, she can't get married to Edna. So just trying to put her mom off the trail. Of mm-hmm. course. Yeah. yeah. Like, yeah. Had a little she... of both. Right? <laughs> exactly. Exactly. If, it, if she had fallen in love with a man, it would have been a different story. Right. <laughs> I think. Mm-hmm. Well, maybe unless she's that career driven. Yeah. I guess there's no way to prove it. We'll never know. We'll never know. But. After she graduated with her teaching certificate, she got a full-time job teaching at an elementary school in Botetot County. This was in western Virginia up in the mountains, so it was very rural and the conditions weren't great. Plus, it was real cold. She was writing to Edna about it and saying that it was almost zero degrees and they had to cancel school because of it. Yep, doesn't sound like a good time. Mm -mm. Sounds like Syracuse. (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, for real. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, after two years teaching there in 1926, she decided to move north and continue her education so that she could get more credentials. She moved to New York City and moved in with her sister, Maud, who had just found a place to live in Harlem. Oh, my God. OK, talk about level up Harlem in 1926. Yo. New York was popping at that time. And Harlem, especially, a uh, hello, two words, Harlem Renaissance. Harlem Renaissance. Tell us more about that, Jessica. What's that? The Harlem Renaissance? Uh, it sounded like such a beautiful time. Obviously, it took place in Harlem, New York in the 1920s and 30s. It was the rebirth of music, art, and literature. A lot of today's influences was born or influenced because of that time. Think jazz, writers like Langston Hughes, W.E.B. Du Bois, Josephine Baker. If I got to choose what part of history I would want to live in, I would have lived during this time. But then I think about the more racism in America and I'm like, "Mm, maybe not. (laughs) Yeah. Oh, cool. I'm going to look more into this after this conversation. Sounds like something worth knowing about. Mm hmm. Indeed. Well, Amaza enrolled at Columbia University Teachers College that year, and she specialized in fine art and art appreciation. So the book I was reading was talking about how this would qualify her to be part of the group W.E.B. Du Bois called the Talented Tenth. He considered this to be an elite group of Black people who were highly educated and created a buffer, so to speak, between Black society and white society, and would become sort of a bridge between the two. However, most of the people I think he would have associated with the group were men, not an independent, self-sufficient woman like Amaza. And that would have been unusual, even though she clearly met the qualifications. Hmm, that's interesting. Well, first of all, major eye roll that he wouldn't consider women in the mix. But second, today, black women are considered to be one of the most educated amongst the demographic of college students. What do you mean more educated? Like they have more degrees? Yeah. Prime example, former First Lady Michelle Obama. Hmm. Case in point. Mm-hmm. Well, while she was in New York, Amaza wasn't really into the nightlife scene. She was more interested in studying and art, and the curriculum at the school introduced a course on home decoration and interior design, where they studied design history, had discussions, and did studio time. And part of this class was also looking into the modern design of a home, including the plan of the house and the use of hand and machine processes in furnishing and decoration. Ooh, I like that she was specializing in fine arts, but also getting a taste of interior design. Maybe she would apply this in the future. Mm. You're right. I think I might start to see the connection here. But also that school. You see where it's going? I see where. I see where this is going. I'm picking up (laughs) what you put in down. But Uh, But also that school sounds really fun. Yeah, right. So around this time, Macy's and other department stores were starting to include departments for modernist furniture and decorative objects. They started hiring architectural designers to help with these departments. And like we heard about last week with Ada Louise, in the next decade or so, they would start getting some pretty big architectural names. When I was looking for jobs after graduation, people did tell me that stores looked for architects to design their displays. 
But then I don't remember why I didn't explore those options. It still sounds like a very interesting job. Yeah, I remember seeing those positions too. And I actually know someone that did it for a while. So, yeah, sounds cool. Yeah. The Met also had exhibits on furniture in 1926 and 1929. And in 1928, they had an exhibit titled Architect and the Industrial Arts, an exhibition of the contemporary American design. Amaza attended these different exhibits and she kept the catalogs and used them years later as part of her curriculum for students. Ooh, I would have loved to attend these exhibits with Amaza. I like how resourceful she was. That she thought of keeping the material and then utilized it. This is why hoarding becomes beneficial. (laughs) (laughs) Good point. Very true. Well, after four years in the big city, she had been exposed to all kinds of design and culture, and she took this information and her shiny new bachelor's degree back to Petersburg, Virginia, to teach at the Virginia Normal and Industrial Institute and to see Edna. Yes, Edna! I was wondering if Edna was being able to visit New York sometimes and go to museums with Amaza. I'm glad they were close to each other again. I'm glad you brought that up, Najiri, because I was about to say, why would she want to go back to Virginia? But yes, all of those things and Edna, of course. (laughs) Right. Well, that same year in 1930, the president of the school changed the name to Virginia State College for Negroes. This was supposed to show that they were trying to be a more established and serious school and that they had more prestige, as it were. Anyway, basically what it means for Amaza is that there was more expected of the teachers and she felt like she needed a master's. So she went back to New York. This is so interesting. I feel like we're getting a lesson on the education system for African-Americans. Very neat. Yes, I love all the different history lessons we're getting today. Also, dude, I feel like she just got back to Edna and then she left her again. This is just too much for my little heart. (laughs) Yes, it was a very short lived reunion, but she went back to Columbia Teachers College for her master's for the next five years. Five years. Okay, girl. Degrees on degrees. You know Mm. how our girls do. Yeah, (laughs) that's very true. Well, once again, Amaza kept up with all the happening exhibits that were going on around the city and would keep the catalogs for her future course material. Once again, smart or hoarder, like Jessica said, smart hoarder. (laughs) Yes. I mean, when in New York, you just have to visit all the museums and keep all those pamphlets. (laughs) Research. Well, Finally, in 1935, she returned with a master's to the again newly named Virginia State College. How many name changes are these people going to get? <laughs> I know, <laughs> so many. <laughs> Pick a name. Pick a name. But back to Edna. But I'm a little hesitant to get excited. I feel like the next sentence Lizzie's going to say, and three months later, Amasa went to Paris for a PhD. that would definitely be on brand but as soon as she arrives she starts the art department at the school which is still around today oh hey oh this is much better than what i was imagining Mm -hmm. yes glad i could give you a positive piece of information thank (laughs) you 
Well, Amaza hoped that she could get students who were originally thinking of doing domestic science courses into art classes to learn graphic design, fine art, and architecture principles, and then hopefully go into those fields. <laughs> it reminds me of how I got into architecture. This is great. <laughs> yeah, I love this. It kind of takes me back to the conversation we had with Anna Lewis on our first charrette about the importance of exposing students to different fields of study. I like that Almasa was making this happen. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and she also wanted to share her design knowledge with the larger community. And she was an advisor of interior decoration on the local Better Homes Committee, which was part of a nationwide group, Better Homes of America, which was trying to increase home ownership in America and work on improving the efficiencies and healthiness of domestic life, quote. Oh, hey, now. This is very Dorothy May Richardson, episode 22. <laughs> yes. Being part of the committee was actually a huge achievement for Amaza because it showed that she was respected in her design ability. Yeah, for sure. And after years of being apart, Amaza and Edna finally got to be reunited, and Amaza designed and built them a house near the campus. The house was called Azurist, which was a word Amaza came up with, and she said, quote, suggests a place where the deep blue sky of hope meets the safe space of comfort. Oh, that's so beautiful. My thoughts exactly. So the design was in the German international style that was trending at the time. And it has a white stucco exterior and the corners are rounded with glass ribbon block windows that wrap the corners. I'll have some pictures in the show notes for you. Ooh, yeah. I got to check that out. It must have really stood out. It sounds très modern. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. I like the way the volumes and the windows wrap around the space and the blue or green. I can't tell what color that is. The ribbon at the top. I like how yeah. it frames the volumes together. Mm. Right. It was definitely a bold design for the area and bold for a black woman to build herself a house at this time. I kind of like that she did her thing and forged her own path. Yeah, here I was thinking that her mama was accomplished because she bought land. But here comes Amaza building a whole house. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I was thinking that too. She had her parents that taught her to follow her arrow wherever it points. <laughs> and then she took it to the next level. <laughs> level up, level up. <laughs> and I think they would have been proud. I agree. Well, she and Edna would live in this house for the rest of their lives. Cute. Oh, so happy they could live together and didn't have to live in separate houses or any of that BS we heard about earlier. Mm. Right. Well, around this time in the 1940s, Amaza's sister Maud, who was a school teacher in Brooklyn, took a vacation in Sag Harbor's Eastville neighborhood on Long Island. She saw a 20-acre piece of land that was undeveloped, and she had the idea of creating a summer vacation community for Black families. So she reached out to the owner of the land, and apparently they were having a hard time selling it because it was marshy and wooded, so they agreed to subdivide and sell the lots with Maud. And Maud got Amaza to be her partner on this project. They called the neighborhood Azurist or Azurist North, not to be confused with her house in Virginia, which is sometimes referred to as Azurist South. Oh, hot diggity dang. She just became a developer. Wait, what? 
I have heard of those neighborhoods, but I'm today years old, just now putting it all together that it was Amaza who did those. Right? So Maud was key in finding potential buyers for the lots, and she and Amaza actually created a company, Azarist Syndicate Incorporated, to broker sales and mortgages for the subdivision. And I know we've talked in previous episodes about how hard it was for Black families to get financing and approval for mortgages and homeownership, let alone construction of a new home. So like some of our previous ladies, these sisters tried to make that goal achievable for families. I love this so much. Dorothy May, Dorothy May. Mm -hmm. So Amaza was the secretary and archivist of the syndicate, and she said about keeping records of the meetings, quote, in this way, a complete history of the syndicate will be recorded. I have the feeling that the organization is making history and none of it should be lost. I wish Amaza would have talked to season one lady, Julia Morgan, but yay for documentation. (laughs) Yes, she needs to talk to a lot of ladies. <laughs> yeah, for That's real. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, most of the families were upper or middle class black families, doctors, lawyers, dentists, etc. And the subdivision was an escape from the Jim Crow era laws. And many well-known celebrities would come here to vacation like Lena Horne, Duke Ellington and Harry Belafonte. And the descendants of the sisters still live in the Terry cottage that Amaza designed. Shake. Shake, shake, Amaza. <laughs> uh, yes, here's where Black excellence vacationed. I love to see it. Exactly. Well, the subdivision expanded and a few other subdivisions for Black families were built. Today, the Sag Harbor Hills, Azarist, and Nineveh subdivisions, or SANS, are now listed on the state and national registers of historic places as of spring 2020. The community has been working hard to get the neighborhoods listed and preserved as many people have been trying to buy up old houses and lots and tear them down to build new homes. Yes, this is also what I learned about those communities. I hope they can preserve as much as they can. Yeah. So while Amaza was teaching at Virginia State, she had been very involved with the Alumni Association and she really wanted to build an alumni house. And in the 40s, she drew up plans for a house and she was part of the capital campaign to get it built. However, it never ended up happening. And in 1962, the plan was squashed. Amaza was serious about this, though. So she actually willed half of her house, Azarist South, to the university when she died so that it could be used as the alumni house. Wow. Talk about commitment. Dedicated to the very end. Yeah. And Amaza continued to teach and run the art department at what would become Virginia State University until 1958 when she retired. Okay, to steal from Nerdy, what did she do after? Because you know, just because she retired, that doesn't mean that she stopped doing cool things. Right. (laughs) Well, in retirement, she kept designing buildings and painting into the 60s. And actually, in the 1970s, she designed some logos for the NAACP when they had a proposed name change. Get it, get it, get it. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> I don't even know if that's <laughs> <laughs> Remember, we were reviewing this when we were really tired. I liked it. Yeah. It's great. We're keeping that. <laughs> well, in 1984, Amaza passed away, and Edna died a year later. They're buried alongside each other in Petersburg, Virginia, 
And after Edna died, the university bought the remaining half of the house from her estate, and Azarus South became the alumni house that Amaza had fought for in 1986. And in 1993, the house was put on the National Register of Historic Places. Hmm. If Edna was older, she must have lived a very long time. And also, what a beautiful honor to have the Azura South become the alumni house. Yes, I'm very happy her wish was honored. What an amazing legacy. Yeah, we had to say it. It was it's been there this whole time. It's was, right there. It was right, it was right there. there. It was right there. And it's appropriate because Amaza was amazing. Or amazing. She, she was, was amazing. Amazing. <laughs> <laughs> well, before we leave you, we have to tell you who our karyotid for this week's episode is. Jessica, can you remind us what a karyotid is? Uh-huh. So for some background, a karyotid is a stone carving of a woman used as a column or a pillar to support the structure of a Greek or Greek style building. Each episode will choose a karyotid, a woman who is working today, furthering the profession through her work and who ties into the historical woman of our episode. All right. So without further ado, this week's karyotid is... <laughs> Kimberly Pinder. Woo! Yeah! Kimberly! Yeah. So Kimberly has just been appointed as the next dean of the Yale School of Art. She is only the second woman to lead the school and the first woman of color. Oh, hey, girl. Hey! What up, what up, Kimberly? (laughs) Yeah! So Kimberly received a Master of Philosophy from Yale in addition to a Master's and PhD from the Department of history of art and then she went on to work at the school of the art institute of chicago as the chair of the department of art history theory and criticism then she was the dean of the university of new mexico college of fine arts from 2012 to 2018 with a stint as the interim director and curator of the university of new mexico art museum from 2014 to 2016 great resume very impressive Mm -hmm. Kimberly also wrote a book, Painting the Gospel, Black Public Art and Religion in Chicago, on how Black imagery in the public sphere has empowered communities in that city. The book was a collaboration with local artists in Chicago. She also edited the book, Racing Art History, Critical Readings in Race and Art History in 2002. Gonna find these books and put them in my shopping cart today. Right now, right now, right now, right now. Do it. So in the announcement of her being made the dean of the Yale School of Art, it was said, quote, Professor Pinder is widely known for her deep commitment to teaching, which is rooted in her belief that an education is key to social mobility and to finding solutions to local and national challenges. Sounds like a maza. Exactly. I totally agree that education and knowledge is extremely important to move forward in life, as today's story has proven. Congrats Mm -hmm. to Yale School of Art for having a dean who is committed to her students and the betterment of society. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Before we say goodbye, we want to say thank you to CMYK for the music, John W., our technical producer, and most of all, thank you for listening. We hope you enjoyed learning about Amaza and Kimberly along with our banter and that you are inspired to find out more about them and other amazing professional ladies. Again, thank you. 
She Builds Podcast is a member of Gable Media Podcast Network. Gable Media is curated thought leadership for an audience dedicated to building a better world. Listen and subscribe to all the shows at GableMedia.com. That's G-A-B-L Media.com. Please let us know what you thought of our episode. If you've enjoyed it, please help us spread the word. Tell your friends, your neighbors, your coworkers, your family members, your hinge dates, your professors, your deans. Give us five stars on iTunes, write us a review, and this will help us reach a wider audience and for more people to learn about these amazing ladies with us. Yeah. <laughs> We are excited to hear from you and for you to come back and keep learning about women bosses with us. You can email us your thoughts at shebuildspodcast at gmail.com. Leave us a comment on our website, shebuildspodcast.com, or follow us on Instagram and Facebook at shebuildspodcast and on Twitter at shebuildspod. Until then, bye. Adios. Bye. After she graduated with her teaching certificate, she got a full-time job teaching at an elementary school in, I forgot to look this up. Botetort. Do it now. Botetort. Botetort. Pronunciation. Botetort? Ooh, what? Really? That is not what I thought it was. It is what it is. Possibly the most non-obvious pronunciation in the bunch. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Okay. I'm I'm gonna do it. Do it. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? I'm I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, we'll buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. Season one featured founders, Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that, (laughs) then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long-term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us, can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh my the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.